0: Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah.
1: This is the Tom Hartman Programme.
2: Boy, what a day. The Supreme Court just lit our planet on fire. Treason is the most profitable business Trump has ever engaged in. And Reverend William Barber is getting arrested, perhaps as we speak. And if he is uh, processed in time, will be with us on the program. So, you know, we'll we'll see how that shakes out. But we are hoping to have him on the program. He's up to some really great stuff, and I want you to know all about it. So I want to start out with uh, the Supreme Court decisions as i said the supreme court just lit our planet on fire it seems complicated it's really not complicated and most americans are not going to have a clue of what happened because frankly all the analyses that i've seen so far on most of the websites have been like you know dry boring filled with jargon and you know legalese and stuff like that but let me tell you what just happened before now Going back basically about a century, back to, certainly back to the 1930s when we got some of our first really serious regulatory agencies, the Securities and Exchange Commission, for example, was created by the Franklin Roosevelt administration, I believe in 33, but in any case, maybe 34. But in any case, the way it works is Congress looks at a problem. With the SEC, when they created that, it was you know thieves on Wall Street. With the EPA, it's pollution. With the National Highway Safety Board, it's, you know, whether cars should have seatbelts. Or, excuse me, people dying in car accidents. So the Congress looks at a problem, and they say, okay, we've got this problem. People are dying in cars unnecessarily. People can't join unions. Whatever it may be. carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is burning our planet down. That's the one that the decision was about. And so they say to uh, and so what Congress does is they pass a law establishing a, a regulatory agency to solve that problem. So Richard Nixon signed legislation to create the Environmental Protection Agency to solve the problem of pollution. And Congress can say to the EPA, you know, we want you to do something about a specific thing. We in this case this was an Obama rule uh, we want you to, or you know, uh, uh, the EPA doing something under under Obama. Uh, we want you to do something about climate change, solve this problem. So the EPA then has a whole bunch of scientists who work for it, and and the EPA gets those scientists together, and they have outside scientists as well, consultants and things that they bring in and they go through you know it was typically a year or two long process of saying okay here's the problem what are all the possible solutions and these scientists will come up with well we could limit tailpipe emissions we could uh, mandate that people insulate their homes we could do this we could do that we could do it. you know and and then the question is which of those things are you know within the EPA's power it gets narrowed down by the bureaucrats at the EPA and i don't mean that in a negative sense these are the you know the people who actually do the work and the scientists at the EPA and they evaluate literally thousands of hours of testimony by scientists, they themselves being scientists, are evaluating this information. And finally, the EPA comes forward and says, okay, here's the new rule that we think will solve this problem. Cars have to be more efficient and wellheads can't leak, for example. This was actually what this case was about. The EPA saying that. And so then the EPA publishes that as a prospective rule says this is how we intend to do it and the public can comment on it the same thing happened with the fcc with net neutrality remember that a couple years ago we were all going to the fcc website and making public comments on on net neutrality same deal so the public can comment on it after the public comment period closes and all the scientists have looked at it and congress has had a chance to look at it then the epa finally says okay this is now the new rule this is the law, we are going to enforce it, and if you are manufacturing cars that don't conform to this mileage standard, then, uh, you know, you have to pay a fine. That's how it's always worked. What the Supreme Court said today is that the only role that the EPA can play is that of cop on the beat. In other words, enforcing the rule. Congress, the Supreme Court today said, has to write the rule. Which means that a congressional committee, the, the, health and, the environmental committee in, in the House and Senate, I, I, I believe it's called the Committee on the Environment, but I, I could be wrong, but whatever. The, the, the committee charged with dealing with the environment in the House and the Senate, which is typically, you know, a dozen or two dozen members of Congress, they are going to have to hire hundreds of scientists To do an in-depth and exhaustive evaluation. And then these members of Congress are going to have to evaluate the science and come up with the rules, and then they're going to have to publish those rules, excuse me, they're going to have to make those rules into law and say the law now says that, you know, uh, tailpipe emissions can't go above a certain point or mileage must be whatever. Congress has to pass that law, and all the EPA can do is go to General Motors and say, hey, your cars are putting out too much pollution. You're going to be fined $1,000 a day per car or whatever. So, number one, this is a disaster for the environment. But number two, by overturning what's called the Chevron deference, back in 1984, Chevron sued the EPA saying, you can't regulate us. And the Supreme Court looked at it and said, sure they can. The regulatory agencies have all the expertise. They have all the scientists. They know what they're doing. So, you know, we need, us, the courts, we need to defer to the regulatory agencies. And that's why it's called the the Chevron deference is because it's out of the Chevron versus EPA case and it requires uh, everybody, but particularly the courts, to defer to to the judgment of the regulatory agencies. Well, that got blown up today, which means that, every regulatory agency, unless I'm reading this decision wrong, and if there's any attorneys out there who are schooled in this kind of law, give me a shout and tell me if I'm missing this, if I've got something wrong here, but I don't think so. The way that I'm reading this decision, every regulatory agency is now going to be subject to challenge. Things will continue as normal until some employee sues osha and says i shouldn't have to wear a safety strap when i'm working on a on a thirty-story tower on a steel tower on a steel beam i shouldn't have to wear that congress didn't say that osha came up with that rule or i shouldn't have to wear a, a respirator when i'm dealing with toxic materials or you know so that would be osha um the uh, national highway traffic uh, safety uh, you know somebody's gonna sue and say Airbags, who said airbags? Congress never said airbags. You guys put this, you know, and suddenly airbags go away. The Department of Labor, somebody will sue and say, oh, I, you know, I don't want to have to pay dues to this union. That's a rule that the, that the, uh, that the uh, 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 National Transportation Safety Administration or, you know, it came up with. A regulatory agency, it's not Congress. You understand what I'm saying here? When Steve Bannon said that the goal of the Trump administration was to deconstruct the administrative state, I'm I'm betting 95% of Americans had no friggin' clue what he was talking about. This is what he was talking about. The administrative state is the regulatory agencies that are hated by big corporations, by Charles Koch by these by and the coke industries by the other right-wing billionaires you know the the tech billionaires hate the possibility of their being regulated i mean you know pick your billionaire and your industry they all hate regulatory agencies and this is exactly what has happened at least as far as i as far as i'm able to read this the supreme court today has lit our planet on fire because if you think that Congress is going to be able to pass these kinds of regulations over a filibuster, when Joe Manchin has taken money from the fossil fuel industry, and probably Kirsten Cinema too, we know she's taking money from Big Pharma, and every single Republican is in the pockets of these people, they're still denying climate change. I also have to tell you why treason is the most profitable business Trump ever engaged in. We'll get into that, and I'll pick up your phone calls. Stick around. So treason is the most profitable business Trump ever engaged in. He made $1.6 billion while he was president. And uh, he's made another a little over a half a billion dollars since he left the, the, the presidency while he was president. Of course, you know, he wanted to have a Trump Tower in, in uh, Moscow. This is, by the way, the most charitable explanation for Trump's behavior. It could be that he was being blackmailed. It could be that he simply hates America and he, and he thinks America should be an autocratic nation like Russia. Um, frankly, I think that that's also a very likely possibility. Uh, you've got you know, Tucker Carlson doing, doing his show from Brazil and interviewing Bolsonaro. There's this big push on Fox News to promote the, the uh, right wingers. I'll tell you about that, uh, more about that in the second and third hour of the program. But uh, during the time that Trump was president, you know, his first week in office, he invited the uh, ambassador and the foreign minister of Russia into the White House and and right in front of them and God and everybody outed an Israeli spy who was working on behalf of the United States, burned this spy to Russia. Uh, This had to do with uh, the the war in Syria that Russia was then prosecuting. Uh, He trashed our intelligence agencies. He shut down the Office of Cybersecurity, the White House Office of Cybersecurity, and the Department of Homeland Security's Office of Cybersecurity. And what happened? The Russians came in and set up house inside the Treasury Department and the Commerce Department that we know of for sure. And the other agencies aren't talking. But Trump basically invited the Russians inside the computers of our government. And, you know, nobody's debating that. It was in the New York Times. Uh, he denied weapon systems to Ukraine. He was impeached for this. He tried to black, he tried to extort uh, Vladimir, Vladimir Zelensky, saying, "Oh, you want these weapon systems? <laughs> We're holding them back until you do what I say." Uh, you know, tell you know, tell the world that Joe Biden did something corrupt in Ukraine. Right. Uh, that was he was doing this on behalf of Putin. Donald Trump is Putin's po- Putin's poodle. He did his best to cripple NATO. Remember that. He, he, he withheld us funds for nato for almost a year i mean it was just and and trash talked nato everywhere he could go he welcomed russian money that was funneled through the nra and other front groups i mean and then after he left he he you know he raised a half a billion dollars in contributions being president when back in back in 2000 when trump the first time trump was talking about running for president he said that, I would be, that that he would be, let me give you the exact quote. He said, it's very possible that I could be the first presidential candidate to run and make money on it. It's exactly what he's done. I mean, you know, but Trump isn't the first to this game. This is the entire premise of the Reagan revolution, this embrace of neoliberalism. Putting financial interests, money, ahead of national interests, patriotism, has become the main focus of an entire industry of think tanks and bill mills like Alec that... Crank out model legislation for bought-off members of Congress, both state and federal, to enact into law. I mean, it's very straightforward, and as I said, this goes back to the Reagan Revolution and and also to Citizens United. Now you've got the Federalist Society that has put its its people on the Supreme Court, and today you know there are very few members of the House of Representatives. I mean, forty years ago, before you know when Reagan came into office. Most members of the House of Representatives are average working people. In fact, most senators were. Barry Goldwater, his family owned a, a department store in Phoenix. I mean, he wasn't a billionaire, he wasn't rich, he was okay, he was you know, wealthy by, by uh, middle class standards, but not rich, and it wasn't just Goldwater. There were very few millionaire senators or multimillionaire senators back in 1980, and, and almost none in the House of Representatives, because big money didn't control politics. And it didn't take big money to get into politics. But then you know Reagan changed the rules of the game and the Supreme Court changed the rules of the game. And now there's pretty much not a single member of the House of Representatives who's not a multimillionaire. And you've got members of the, of the Senate. I mean, Mitt Romney's probably a billionaire. He's not telling, but it sure looks like he should be. You got Rick Scott who's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You've got uh, most of your other senators are worth tens of millions of dollars. And and many of them got that rich while they were senators because they they carved an exemption into the the insider trading laws so that when they know that a particular drug company is going to get a government contract or a particular defense contractor is going to get a government contract and they know it before you and I know it, they just go in and buy a whole pile of stock. I mean, we saw (laughs) this was happening all over the place. The uh, 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 Kelly, what was her name? Kelly Lofgren? The senator from Georgia, who was briefly the senator from Georgia, uh, the Republican, um, whose husband was the head of the New York Stock Exchange, got busted for this. All kinds of insider trading. What happened? Basically nothing. We have to extract this cancer of big money in our politics from our body politic. It is a cancer, and it is eating our democracy alive. This is the poison or the fuel, on which Putin's Russia runs, on which Bolsonaro's Brazil runs, on which Orban's Hungary runs, all countries that are now embraced by Fox News and Tucker Carlson, and basically the fifth column in the United States. The people on the inside who want to see this country turned into an authoritarian autocracy, a strongman dictatorship. Donald Trump is not going to be the, the standard bearer of this any longer. I'm predicting it's going to be Ron DeSantis, and I think that a possibility, I think the possibility is getting more remote that Don Jr. will be his running mate. I think the Trump brand has been so sullied now that it's, it's frankly more likely it'll be Christy Noem or somebody like that, um, you know, put a woman on the ticket along with uh, Ron DeSantis. But this—this this is their this is their goal. DeSantis is trying it out down in Florida. Greg Abbott is doing it in Texas. Authoritarian rule. Ignore the law. Punish your enemies, reward your friends. Use the power of government to do both. We gotta turn overturn your Citizens to United.
1: Tom Hartman.
2: Citizens United and its predecessors. I mean, this is entirely given to us by the Supreme Court. We need to overturn these rules. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two ends, or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman.
3: What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Let's
2: try Skip in Muskegon, Michigan. Hey, Skip, what's up?
3: Well, this is to do with oil and free advertisements that they're getting. Uh, first, got to say that uh, Toyota in 2014 had one of their cars in a race. That thing was getting uh, 2,800 RPM, and they ran it on ammonia. They, You don't have to do much. To the engine, you have to do a little bit to the catalytic converter, I guess. But it burns clean; it's not fossil fuel. Now, today on Wood TV, I'm in Muskegon, of course. In Wyoming, Michigan, Americans for Prosperity—that's probably Big Oil. It's the—it's the one that away. was created
2: by the Koch brothers network. Yeah.
3: Oh, great! They were. They're going they were giving away from ten AM to twelve PM gas for two thirty eight a gallon and the woman says that's what gas was going for when Biden got into office and look where he has it now and lie, 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 lie. And if you want to know more lies, of course they didn't say to lie, but you know yeah. I'm embellishing. They said go to the true cost of washington.com they're going all over the country doing this getting free publicity uh no one's on after them to counter and say my god they're lying you know yeah these billionaires i mean you know the supreme court and their citizens united
2: decision said yeah billionaires can spend all the money they want and the fossil fuel industry can spend all the money it wants to try to change public opinion or elect particular members of Congress, and they're doing it. I mean, you know, hey, if it's legal and you can jack up your profits and make billions of dollars while the the planet is on fire, uh, you know, if you're a sociopath, go for it, right? It's just, it's insane. It's just flat out insane. Thank you, Skip. Diane in San Diego. Hey, Diane, what's up?
4: Good morning. I was just listening to the Stephanie Miller show right at the very end, and they brought up what's going on in the Supreme Court, and one of them said there are nine Supreme Court justices, or used to be nine, well, there are nine, because there used to be nine circuit courts. That's correct. We're up to 13 certain courts. Circuit courts now.
5: That's correct.
4: And so we have every right to go to a 13-member SCOTUS. I write to my um, congressmen regularly. So when I write to them this time, I would like to tell them why we could have 13. Is is it presidential fiat? Is it tradition? What? How do we get that?
2: Article Three, Section Two of the Constitution says that that the Supreme Court shall be regulated by Congress. So Congress has changed the makeup of the Supreme Court a whole bunch of times, I I think seven or eight times. When it started out, there there were six members of the court, there were three circuit courts. So it was two members per circuit. Mm -hmm. It slowly grew up to ten. Then it got chopped down to, I think it was seven, when Andrew Johnson was president. Congress cut it so that he couldn't put somebody on the court. And then it went back up to nine when Ulysses Grant became president after Andrew Johnson left office. And it's stayed at nine ever since. And there were nine circuit courts at that time. Arguably, if you want to go with the Jeffersonian idea, the founders idea, if there's 13 courts, there should be 26 justices. Diane, thank you for the call. Thank you. Nicholas in San Cristobal, Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's on your mind today?
1: Thomas, boy, that's just in quite a lead into what I want to say as well as your uh, reference to Jefferson earlier. I want to remind you, me and everybody, of two things that Jefferson said that I think are incredibly important right now. Well, one is probably a spurious very short comment that we all remember when injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. But what is not spurious and is certainly in his papers and in the declaration itself, upon which I would suggest all the powers that we possess as we, the people, rest. He said, when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it's their right, it is their duty to throw off such government. Yeah, that's from the Declaration of Independence. Right? Strong words. Yeah. Or as Maxine Waters said just a few days ago, to hell with the court. Yeah. And again, Michael Moore's brilliant quote, abort this court. Yeah. It um, is, it, um, it's just gone beyond now. This EPA ruling has me, I mean, I have more than steam coming out of my ears. It's lava at this point. Yeah. It's just incredible what they are going to attempt to do to us, as you said, to eviscerate virtually all federal agencies and their powers to regulate, as though impossibly, as though the Congress could in any possible way possess the amount of uh, information and data that the uh, agencies possess via their their long, in-depth studies of the issues at hand, as you were saying. Yeah, it's, incredible.
2: No, yeah it's, it's, it's nuts, Nicholas. It's, it's truly nuts. And, I mean, and
1: what are, but, but what are we supposed to do here? What can we, we do? We have to
2: express our outrage to our elected officials. We have to pray that uh, Chuck Schumer will grow a spine. Um, we, oh. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and we have to elect right. as many Democrats as we possibly can to the House and Senate.
1: Uh, I think that's really the only way. I think the former things are useless at this point. I don't have very much faith at all in our so-called representatives. They're just representing very poorly. And uh, I think, as you say, it's get more Democrats uh, everywhere throughout and down-ballot, by the way, way down-ballot, as deep as we can go.
2: Yep, absolutely. From the school board on up, from the dog catcher on up, we need to get politically active and we need need to be voting. Uh, Nicholas, thank you. Thank you for the call. Uh, Jay in Stockton, California. Hey, Jay, what's on your mind today?
6: Hey, uh, well, what logic did the uh, Supreme Court use for their uh, decision? I mean, I'm a physician and, you know, we have Jayco that comes to the hospital to regulate, you know, the health standards and stuff. I mean, is JCO not going to be, uh, is that, uh, are they also going to be defanged? Well, here's is the a, thing. What
2: This decision did not automatically kill all those agencies. What it did is it said basically any agency can be taken down with a lawsuit. So if somebody sues JCO, and I, I'm forgive me, Jay, I don't know what JCO is, but if it's a regulatory agency that oversees physicians, yeah, yeah. yeah um, then, and, and if Congress, in the law that created JCO didn't explicitly say what the regulations should be, then yes, those regulations can be blown up. If my understanding of this Supreme Court decision is accurate, wow. and everything I've read so far, including Robert Reich, the former Labor Secretary's piece that he just published about 10 minutes ago, right. uh, corroborates that that perspective so yeah
6: i'll take a look at that and uh two more things number one i'll never understand why uh why democratic party advisors and consultants uh aren't mandated to listen to your show because you know most of the things you talk about sooner or later become real and uh thank the you the third thing is god the supreme court is on a roll they've been driving the nail into the coffin of america of the america we knew uh i mean for the past two weeks i mean they've basically overturned everything yep this is amazing
2: yep and there's more to and come by the way they've there's a uh, they just uh, accepted a case to decide whether individual state legislatures can overturn the electoral college vote in their states
6: you know what that, that would be a good reason to get rid of the electoral college somebody's got to start that discussion once again
2: yeah or a good reason to repack to to rebalance and unpack the Supreme Court Jay this Which is, is what I
6: don't Go ahead. What I don't get, don't the demo, uh, I I don't see any. Uh, any. I mean, the demo, All the Democrats have been doing so far is coming out and saying, "Yeah, vote harder, give us money." But I don't hear a plan. I mean, they got to give us a plan because the way I feel, you know, if you give them like a hundred more uh, re- representatives and at least ten more senators. I still think, you know, with their current leadership and the way they are, they still won't be able to do anything. I need to see a plan from them. Yeah.
2: Chuck Schumer needs to go back and watch uh, from 1994. He needs to go back and watch some clips of, of Newt Gingrich. Uh, hey, I realize it was the House, not the Senate, but still uh, the principle remains. Uh, Jay, thank you very much for the call. Uh, Kate in New York City. Hey, Kate, what's on your mind today?
7: Well, I guess that's what Steve Bannon meant when he talked about the what, dismantling of the administrative
2: state. That's exactly what he meant. This yeah. literally is exactly what he meant.
7: Um, all right. Well, I guess we have to wait and see what happens. I, the, I was calling basically about January 6th.
1: Mm-hmm.
7: Um, I called Benny Thompson's office yesterday, or, uh, yeah, yesterday, and I asked to be connected to that uh, department, and I basically all I could do was leave a message, and I said what is being done about this memo from Christopher Miller, um, right. who was the acting secretary of defense, who basically told the D.C. National Guard that they had to stand down on January 6th.
2: Yeah, and it was on uh, January 4th memo, by the way. So this was, this was apparently part of the pre-riot planning.
7: And this, I mean, this is a, it's stunning. This memo that is available for anyone to, to read um, it seems to me to be direct evidence of a conspiracy at the highest levels of government.
2: I agree. And I have the memo here. I'll read it to people in just a yeah. moment. But yeah, keep, keep going.
7: Well, it, you know, I, I left a message. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure they're aware of it. I don't know why they don't call Christopher Miller as a witness, um, put him into a deposition and ask him, who gave you this order? Uh, I mean, it's, it's stunning. It's, it's stunning.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm with you. Here's the memo. Uh, this is uh, dated January fourth, 2021. Uh, it's a memorandum for Secretary of the Army. Uh, the subject: employment guidance for the District of Columbia National Guard. Uh, and and I'll just read it. It's. It's. This is. Keep in mind. This is two days before January sixth. And this is the Secretary of Defense speaking to the Army and the National Guard. Without my subsequent personal authorization. The D.C. National Guard is not authorized the following, and I'm going to insert the word "not" in each one of these bullet points. It's you know because it, it, it it's what it literally means, not to be the D.C. National Guard may not be issued weapons, ammunition, bayonets, batons, or ballistic protection equipment such as helmets and body armor. The D.C. National Guard may not interact physically with protesters except when necessary in self-defense. The D.C. National Guard may not employ any riot control agencies. The D.C. National Guard may not share equipment with law enforcement agencies. The D.C. National Guard may not use intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance assets to conduct ISR or incident awareness or assessment activities. The D.C. National Guard may not employ helicopters or any other air assets. The D.C. National Guard may not conduct searches, seizures, arrests, or any other similar law enforcement activity. The D.C. National Guard may not seek support from any non-D.C. National Guard units. And that was two days before the riot. It's just astonishing. Kate, thank you very much for that call and for pointing that out. Ron in Chicago. Hey, Ron, what's on your mind today?
3: Uh, yes, with the uh, decision about the Clean Air Act, does that mean in the, the near future that cars will not be coming with airbags, seat seatbelts?
2: conceivably the requirement for airbags and sea belts could be rolled back too i don't know if congress ever put those things into law or if those are uh law or or if those are regulations that came out of the national highway safety uh, transportation safety board or whatever it's called um, frankly i i just don't know off the top of my head ron i'd have to look it up but anything that is in law right now as the result of administrative action in other words as a result of a regulatory agency saying We have examined this, we did the science, we published it, we had public comment, we went through all the hoops, and now we have published this as a law. Anything that falls into that category, arsenic, levels of arsenic in your water, uh, levels of pollution from power plants, levels, all of these things are now subject to being overthrown or overruled by a lawsuit from an interested party. And if that lawsuit is successful or when that lawsuit is successful, the only way to get those rules back is for Congress to pass them as a law. And good luck getting anything out of Congress ever since the Reagan revolution. Congress has essentially been frozen when it comes to doing anything except tax cuts for billionaires. Ron, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. Marty in Wixom, Michigan. Hey, Marty, what's up?
3: Hey, Tom. I just wanted to reinforce the alarm bells you are ringing about this latest Supreme Court decision in the EPA. I've testified before Congress and before half a dozen state legislatures, and I can assure your listeners that legislators are absolutely unqualified and incapable of developing and passing regulations. It's it's not
2: their job. It's not what we elected them to do. I mean, if, if, if we knew that this was what Congress had to do, we'd start looking for PhDs to run for Congress.
3: Yeah, I mean, even if they were well-intentioned, which in many cases they are not, legislative, the legislative structure and process is incapable of developing regulations. I mean, it's just a
8: ridiculous concept. Yeah,
2: well, it's now the law, the law of the land. Marty, thank you for the call. Spot on, spot on. 45 minutes past the hour. We'll be back with your calls in just a moment. Uh, the legislative coup, excuse me, the judicial judicial coup, the rewriting of the rules of America. We're back to 1930 now. We're back before Franklin Roosevelt's presidency. In so many regards, continues. Jack in Aurora, Illinois. Hey, Jack, what's on your mind today?
9: Hey recent Supreme Court ruling with the, you know, the EPA, I mean, it's like you want to roll us back to, like, lighted gasoline and everything else. But the main reason I was calling is, you know, they had this recent Supreme Court ruling about the Miranda rights, which is absolutely troubling. So as we're going into July 4th, you know, you have all these Republicans talking about freedom and liberty and everything else. But in this decision, they, you know, they called it a pro, it was used, uh, I think, like fifty. In the decision, when I read it, it was like it was it was like fifty plus times that they kept talking about the prophylactic. Uh, it is like a prophylactic basically ruling, which essentially safeguards specific rights that you do have. So it seems like the Supreme Court, the only time they're uh, this Supreme Court, the only time that they're uh, interested in talking about uh, prophylactics are when they really want to. Uh, uh, suspend your rights, or you know, severely hamstring them. It's it's just insane. Yeah,
2: I suppose. Uh, that opposed, they would allow. I'm sorry. Good yeah, that they would allow
9: evidence to be admitted. That you know, that they you know, that came down the decision that came down. What 64 was it? Uh, Miranda versus Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have the right to remain silent. Things like that. It's just. It's amazing that they could do that. And, you know, you couple that with all the other decisions that they have with the uh, the Fourth Amendment, with the uh, Border Patrol agent going into the house of that guy, you know, not being able to uh, sue federal agents when they, you know, when they uh, have, you know, when they violate your Fourth Beat Amendment rights. and right. trash his house. Exactly. And not only that, plus the ruling with the uh, Sixth Amendment where, you know, now if you get, if you find new evidence and you can't, you know, they, let's say that you get you're at the wrong place at the wrong time, but you're doing the right thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and you just happen to get caught and you have to get a, uh, you know, let's say you get thrown into. Um, uh, you, you know, you get you get convicted, but you didn't do the crime and you had and you, you found new evidence years later. Well, you cannot now with the latest ruling, you can't you can't admit that evidence. Right. You can petition for it. You can petition say, hey. You know, hey, I'm I'm innocent, but if, without the evidence, it's toothless. What's it gonna do? You're you know you're a convicted felon at this point. Right. Not like like if you're, you if
2: you're at your bank cashing a check and a bank robbery happens and somebody thinks that you're participating with the robbers, you tip them off, or you know you looked at the guard the wrong way or something like that, and they haul you into court and they convict you and they send you to prison, and then it comes out after you're in prison that hey, the bank has security cameras, or this guy over in the corner had his mm-hmm. cell phone going. And here's the proof that right. you had nothing to do with robbing the bank. The Supreme Court has right. said, you're absolutely right, the Supreme Court has said you may not automatically be entitled to an appeal because of that new evidence.
9: It's disgusting. That we you are court, looking at a fascist yeah.
2: takeover of this country
9: from the court. It's insane. Exactly. At this point now, you know, it is frightening. When I try to tell some of this to my friends about these rulings are like, well, you know, hey, when are you going to get arrested? I'm like, it, it might not affect you, but it could affect people that you do know or some of your family members that you do know or people that, or friends that you might have that, you know, get caught up like you just said. And now that, you know, and now there's been a life in prison. Right. And, and now that you can you
2: know, now that it's almost impossible to sue the police. I mean, you know, if you piss off the cop who lives down the street from you, you might be in trouble. Right. If you get You're
9: going to be in. Exactly, absolutely.
2: Yeah. For, you know, with these uh, uh, what they call it, vengeance arrests. Jack, thank you for the call. Exactly. Great to hear from you. you Don't know if you caught uh, Joe Biden's uh, press conference during the NATO conference, but he reaffirmed our our commitment to Ukraine, uh, said that we're sending another eight hundred million dollars worth of weapons to them. Several other NATO countries said that they would do the same or similar and you'll recall a week or so ago i was explaining how turkey was blocking the uh, entrance turkey's a, NATO, a member of nato they're kind of the outlier they're the only nato country that you know is not really a democracy any longer erdogan has declared a state of emergency and he's been ruling by fiat but in any case what i predicted was that erdogan was going to get a pound of flesh Because he can, you know, NATO is a consensus organization. Everybody has to agree 100%. Everybody has to vote the same way or nothing happens. And so when Sweden and Finland said that we, you know, we'd like to become members of NATO, uh, Turkey immediately said, oh, no, you don't. And and I said, you know, Erdogan wants something. I don't know what he wants, but I know that he wants something. Well, you know, now we're finding out what he wants. He wants to stab the Kurds in the back. Sweden has been helping the Kurds. Uh, You know, the Kurds are scattered among basically three countries, Iran, Iraq, and Turkey, and, and, and Syria, actually. And, and, uh, and there's a lot of Kurdish refugees also in, in Turkey. And Erdogan, you know, hates the Kurds and uh, has been trashing the Kurds, and Sweden has been supporting the Kurds. And so basically, Erdogan said, stop supporting the Kurds, and I'll let you into NATO. And Sweden said, okay, we'll stop supporting the Kurds. So once again, you know, Donald Trump stabbed the Kurds the 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 Syrian Kurds in the back you'll recall they were giving the finger to our troops as we pulled out when Donald when Putin told Trump to get out of Syria and Trump said yes sir yes sir and he pulled all of our troops out of Syria and and just turned the Kurds over to the tender mercies of the Russian army and the and the Syrian army and uh here we go again it's amazing uh Gino in Oakdale St. Paul Minnesota am I saying your name right and is it Oakdale or St. Paul
8: just outside of St. Paul, just to the east, about okay. ten minutes from Wisconsin. Uh-huh. Ron Johnson, what a Ron Johnson, what a gift to the Democrats. Uh, you think? You think he's going to lose? Well, I'm pretty sure. But why don't why don't we play every day that statement he made to that woman that got him on on video? She was pretending to be a Trumpster, and she was complaining to him about how Trump got robbed from the election and Ron Johnson told her that people voted down ballot and they didn't didn't vote for Trump. Right. And there was like 50,000 he said like 50,000 people did that. Yep. That's why Trump lost Wisconsin so but for months Wisconsin has been going through all this audit phony audit stuff and all this why don't they play every day what Ron Johnson said to that lady? Yeah. Yeah uh
2: I don't know <laughs> but i but I, I I get your sentiment, and I agree with it Gino, thank you for the call Tom in Huntington beach California hey tom what's up hey always
9: good to talk to the reason in the sea of misconception thank you um i wanted to I wanted to say that people really need to uh learn history because if you really look at this fake statement by the Supreme Court that they're going back to originalism they appear to be stopping no later than or earlier than 1821 because this was the beginning of the second great awakening and Thomas Jefferson was still alive and he was appalled that religion was taking over multiple states. Oh yeah. And and people don't realize that this is not what the founders had in mind and they keep saying, oh no, we're going all the way back. Nope, they're stopping in the 1800s. They want a certain way of uh, basically a religious state, and they're and,
2: and they're and they're hell bent on getting one. I'm with you, Tom. And and uh, in fact, the piece I published yesterday had a had a quote at the very end of it from Jefferson, and that was in a letter that I believe was written in the 1820s. Um, you know, where he was saying, "Sing, Terra, Terra, ter- ter- uh, fools all." Uh, it, it, it it absolutely, absolutely excellent point. Thank you, Tom. Robin in Boulder, Colorado. Hey, Robin, what's up?
4: Uh, oh, it's just this country is starting to look like a scorched earth. But, um, you know, more than ever, Biden needs to get off his butt and appoint four and pack the Supreme
2: Court with four more justices. Well, that's going to take just an act of Congress.
4: Yeah. Well, okay. In 1869, Congress set the number of Supreme Court justices at nine to align with the nine circuit courts. We now have 13 circuit courts. We are shorthanded
2: on the Supreme Court. Yep. I agree. I absolutely agree and 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 frankly there's you know the the binding the number of members of Congress or the number of members of the court to the number of courts itself is not a hard and fast rule but when the, the Judiciary Act of 1796 or 97 it was the law that that Marbury versus Madison in 1803 modified to that's when the Supreme Court took all that power that act established six Supreme Court justices and three circuit courts. So at that time, you had two justices for every court. Um, In in 1868, when or I I believe it was 69, but it was when Andrew Johnson left office and and Ulysses Grant came in, Congress expanded the court back to nine. And uh, you know, I'm not sure that the rationale was that there were nine nine uh, circuit courts. It may have been. Uh, I'd have to go back and look, but yes, it was, a, it was certainly coincidental. And and 13 is a, in my mind a minimum. I mean, you look at the Supreme Courts of most other countries; some of them have 15, 20, 20, 25 members. Um, you know, there's a lot of business that the court can do. Robin, thank you for the call. They should do it the way that they do with you know with regular circuit courts. Uh, you know, you you have a, enough extra members that you can pull out a three judge panel or a six judge panel, or you can have a whole pa- you know the whole thing. I mean. There, is so, there are so many ways that we can make our government more rational and more well functioning. Larry in Blackfoot, Idaho. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind today?
1: Well, I'm wondering if there's anything in the Constitution under equal rights that would affect the Supreme Court. If it isn't balanced, how can they come up with a decision that isn't biased?
2: Well, the Supreme Court has never been balanced. It's always been biased in, in one direction or the other, you know, toward progress or, or more conservative. Um, and the, only, the only real reference in the Constitution that immediately comes to mind about uh, equality or equal rights is the 14th Amendment. Um, and I don't see how the 14th Amendment could be used to, to change the composition of the court. If that's where you're going...
6: Yeah, that's what I'm yeah, looking
2: for. Yeah. No, it's this is just up to Congress. I mean, the court is a is a political body. It has been since it was created. Um, I mean, there were debates and fights over the court literally during the founding generation, and there have been ever since. Uh, the court arguably started the Civil War with the with the Dred Scott decision. Um, you know the court has been at the center of a lot of what you could call political activity over the years, and it continues to be. And, and I think we just have to acknowledge it and let our, our our far more political body, or at least theoretically more political body, explicitly political body—that's the word I'm looking for—the the House representatives in the Senate, Congress, let them expand the court so that we can unpack it. You know, un, un, undo the damage that was done by Mitch McConnell, the refusing to allow uh, President Obama to have his nominee and then rushing through Amy Coney Barrett yeah. before Ruth Bader Ginsburg was even in the ground. We just need to expand the court. Larry, thank you for the call. Diana in Marietta, Georgia. Hey, Diana. How's my old stomping grounds doing?
1: <laughs> hey,
5: Tom, thanks for taking my call. First time caller. Well, thank you. Uh, I will talk about how the Democrats really need to take, make use of their power. I've been concerned with that. And also because of that, the voters need to make a better effort in the primary season To really start nominating some more progressive Democrats who are going to be willing to do something like overturn Citizens United and pack the court and all these things. I'm with you. You know how
2: that happens, though, Diana, is progressives need to get inside state Democratic parties and county Democratic parties, because that's where these nominations come from.
5: I do agree. And, And just to support my statement, I wanted to point out, and I know you know this, but a lot of listeners don't is that there was a brief time in Obama's first uh, term when we did have a supermajority, uh, you know, after Al Franken was sworn in and before Ted Kennedy died, when we had the supermajority uh, for just a brief time, and we really didn't do nearly enough with it. We, You know, we didn't codify uh, Roe v. Wade. We didn't do anything about ERA. We didn't do anything about public option or DACA. All those things should have, I mean, they should have had special sessions and just legislated like fools uh, while they had that majority and maybe even that would have been the time to talk about how an RBG you know retire and put somebody in when they knew they could do that and now of course that time is gone but the Democrats need to be stronger about doing things like overruling the Senate parliamentarian firing her if they have to but the, the GOP certainly would do that I think Bush did that during his term uh, to get something did we true. have
2: 60 votes. In the Senate? I I thought that we just had a simple, uh, just a little more than a simple majority, and that's why, uh, you know, for example, Joe Lieberman was able to blow up the the public option for the ACA, because I thought that was passed through reconciliation.
5: I I looked it up once in the past, and I I believe there was a period of about two months when we had 60 votes. Huh.
2: I'd have to go back and look, but I'll take your word for it.
5: Well, I researched that in the past, and that was what I found, and and then and then it was lost when Robert Berg was out. He was hospitalized for a period of time, so it was a really brief period that we had it. But we we just didn't do enough with it. Yeah, and I think hopefully
2: lesson least, learned,
10: right?
5: That means that we need to get, like you said, more involved and uh, and getting people in the you know the Democratic. Uh, party at the low level so we can push things up. And that's always what Bernie pushed too. you know, bottom up.
10: That's
5: that's what we're going to have to do. But we're going to have to stop. And, oh, I better vote for this uh, neoliberal corporatist because they can get elected. Okay, yeah, that might be the thing you have to do in the general election, but not in the primary. And people aren't owning their power in the primary enough.
2: I agree. I agree. And and then and, and frankly I don't think enough progressives are getting inside the party. And this is this is where it all starts. This is how the this is how the radicals took over the Republican party. Steve Bannon's on the radio every day promoting this. And and you know we need to be doing the exact same thing. Diana, thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Kathy in Madison, Wisconsin. Hey Kathy, what's up?
4: Yeah, hi Tom. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm looking up stuff about the um, EPA as you were on the air. And uh, it goes back to the National Environment, Environmental Policy Act of 1969. That was like the thrish, threshold uh, legislation that set everything up for the EPA that followed consolidation of various environmental laws. And in this document, it's only about a seven page document, very quick to read if anybody wants to look it up. They have what they call the stated purposes of the National Environmental Policy Act. And it goes on and is very clear about what they want the federal government to do. Um, I can just go over it very quickly. It's sure. a national policy which will encourage productive and enjoyable harmony between it's a wonderful, very brief document. It states exactly what they want the federal government to do. Right. and it's, it's about harmony and taking care of things that are bad for us and keeping people healthy and all that stuff in the environmental sense. So what then out of that uh, came a lot of other things. The consolidation. There was a whole bunch of different environmental laws, and then the EPA came about. Nixon signed that into uh, law, like in July of 1970, for the EPA. Mm-hmm. So all of the stuff has been laid out. And what this court is doing, they're not nullifying a regulation. They are nullifying the laws that set up environmental protections. That's correct. The they, are,
2: they are. They are. They are uh, essentially. Um uh spaying and neutering the epa yeah,
4: because congress already voted on this stuff.
2: that's correct that's absolutely they correct
4: already voted on it and this is the thing that they did the same thing with uh osha when it came to the biden mandate you know mm-hmm. for the uh covet protections oh they said oh you know you don't have the authority Well, nobody who does
2: right who exactly does? well that's, they're saying congress the does and 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 yeah. uh and this is, this is a, uh, as they say, a dark day. Kathy, thank you. Thank you for the call uh... David in Woodland Hills, California. Hey, David, what's up about it?
10: First of all, I have a solution and then I'd like to make the case that the Supreme Court is acting like organized crime and should be recoded The possible solution is can't Congress just charge the EPA say go study methane, go study c o two, use your scientists, and report back to us? That's a potential solution. Well, hang on just a um, second, let me answer that the the, the way though under this
2: under my understanding of this Supreme Court ruling, uh, I think you're right, David. That w- the way it's going to have to happen is the EPA is going to have to say, "Okay, here's here's all the rules that we want," and then they transmit that to the to the House of Representatives and say, "Make this a law." The House of Representatives makes it a law, passes it. It goes to the Senate. The Senate passes it,
10: and of course, that's where it's going to die. Yeah, un- unless we take control. That's so correct. These. The Supreme Court acting as uh, organized crime in 2001, the Italian Supreme Court, heavily Catholic, heavily influenced by the mafia, ruled that influence peddling is not a crime. Right, we call it a
1: They actually said it was a
10: the the case involved 88 pounds of fish given to expedite legal proceedings to the director of a, of a uh, oh really so it
2: explicit bribery
10: not just influence yeah, 88 pounds way. of fish was given to expedite legal proceedings uh to the director of a civil court huh. so you keep asking where did kavanaugh get his money uh, what are Clarence Thomas and his wife up to and, and why are they act doing the will of the robber barons 2.0 and not the will of the people because it's organized crime and they need to be recoded.
2: Well, I, I don't, I, I think the chances of the RICO laws being used against the Supreme Court are are less than, probably less than one hundredth of one percent. But I, I share your sentiment, David. I certainly do. And uh, there seems to be something in common with today's Supreme Court and that old Italian Supreme Court. David, thank you for that uh, little bit of history. It's fascinating. John in Staten Island, New York. Hey, John, it says here you disagree with me. You go to the front of the line. What's up?
11: Um, All right. So now the president of the United States did not offer Nancy Pelosi 20,000 National Guard troops three days before just before this happened or a week before it happened. That never happened. Because if that is if he did offer Nancy Pelosi, the troops, the National Guard, that means when you were asking the question before, who was it that called off the National Guard? It was Nancy Pelosi. Um, That's who you're looking for, you found her.
2: John, Nancy because Pelosi, the president, d- John, John, just relax for just a second. Nancy Pelosi has no control over the National Guard. The National Guard is, the D.C. National Guard answers directly to the president. In every other state, the National Guard answers to the governor. You had the governor, the Republican governor of Maryland, John Hogan, who was on the phone to the White House begging, for permission to allow the Maryland National Guard to come aid aid the Capitol building, and he was refused by the White House. You have a memo that Chris Miller, who Donald Trump installed as his acting secretary of defense after he fired two of them, in the last year of his presidency this was he, he put him in just a month before january 6, a few weeks before january 6th and chris miller on january 4th and you can easily find this it's all over the internet it's been declassified it's on the letterhead of the secretary of defense january 4th 2021 chris miller wrote a memo to the dc national guard and by the way there aren't i don't believe there's 20,000 members but in any case he wrote a memo and, and again For the record, Nancy Pelosi has nothing to do with the National Guard. She's the Speaker of the House of Representatives. She can hire and fire congressional aides, but she can't do anything with the National Guard. But this is what Chris Miller, the secretary, let me finish, and I'll give you all the time you want. This is what the Secretary of Defense wrote to the D.C. National Guard two days before January 6th. Without my personal authorization, the D.C. National Guard is not authorized. To be issued weapons, ammunition, bayonets, batons, or ballistic projection equipment such as helmets and body armor. They may not, the DC National Guard may not interact physically with protesters except when necessary in self defense. The DC National Guard may not employ any riot control agents. The DC National Guard may not share equipment with law enforcement agencies. The DC National Guard may not use intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance assets to conduct ISR, incident awareness, or assessment activities. The DC National Guard may not employ helicopters or other air assets. The D.C. National Guard may not conduct searches, seizures, arrests, or other similar direct law enforcement activity. And the D.C. National Guard may not seek support from any non-D.C. National Guard National Guard units. And that's why Larry Hogan couldn't send people in from Maryland. So I toss it to you, John.
11: Okay, so two weeks earlier, when Black Lives Matter were burning down the Capitol, and they were on Pennsylvania Avenue and being told by the Secret Service that if they take one more step forward towards the White House, they're going to be fired upon.
10: And when the president- John, that never happened. What you're describing never God, happened. It did
11: happen. It did happen. Are you talking about mayor, when, when Trump went out and cleared the,
10: Lafayette Square? Why don't
11: you let me talk? You, I, I sat well, in this because you're, you. you're spouting BS? To me. it's not BS. The mayor, of, the mayor of Washington was the one who told me he couldn't bring in the National Guard. They were marching towards the White House.
2: The mayor they of D.C. could House. not bring in.
11: Listen, I let you talk. You let me talk. Yeah. That's okay. what you said. You can I'll have give the you last... all the time in the world. Go for it. Here's then. the last word. All the people that have listened to you, when the when, when BLM was burning down the country and, all, and they were having their predominantly peaceful riots, you never called them out. Now, all of a sudden, you're having a, a hearing, you're having a, a show, which we all know is being produced by a Hollywood director. This is all being run by a Hollywood director. You want, oh, That's John. not true? You are such a and victim. And now, all of a sudden, I'm a victim. Sad. I'm a victim. It's sad. All right, simple as this. My life was so oh, much dirt. better under Donald Trump. I could afford to go places, my pension was doing better, I was eating well. Now, I can't afford the fuel. It's only going to get worse.
2: John, you're such a victim. I get it. We feel so sorry for you, John. And I get it that you're so frightened about black people coming to Washington, D.C. And you're saying that they're trying to burn down down the country, all those terrible black people. John, take your racism and go somewhere else, please. I'm, I'm over it. You know, I have a fairly high level of tolerance for this kind of stuff. I've been doing this for 19 years, but holy cow, BLM trying to burn down Washington, D.C.? Come on. First of all, it wasn't just Black Lives Matter. It was, in fact, in a lot of those marches, it was mostly white people. Secondly, we were protesting police violence against black people. Third, most of the actual violence was committed by Well, you had right-wingers, you had this ex-cop in Minneapolis smashing windows. Here in Portland, we had white anarchists who were doing things. It wasn't BLM. But John, you keep telling yourself that story about what a victim you are and how sad you are and what tragedy it is. I, I get it. Special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Student Netiquette, Patrick Hoyt, Gerald and Halbert, Ron Hardenbaum, Chase Spross, and the folks who run our uh, chat room over on YouTube. Thank you to you all. And thank you for listening and watching our program. Get out there, get active, tag your it.
3: At- You've been
1: listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.